This is episode 591 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, Lessons from Katrina, Doc Shares What She Learned. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, before we get started, let me ask you a quick question. Do you have a good water filter? Now, I've been talking about the Hydro Blue VersaFlow for a long time. And to be honest with you, I do. I am an affiliate for them. I don't make a, a lot of money. It is just a good water filter that I think everyone should have. Water is very important when we talk about preparedness. And so what I really like about the Hydro Blue VersaFlow is that you can it has threaded ends on both ends, whether the inlet or the outlet. And you can simply use a soda bottle to screw on either way, right? So if you have dirty water, you can screw it in on the inlet side and squeeze it to where it pushes water out, uh, clean water out to the, uh, you know, the outlet. Or if you need to back flush it, you don't need a plunger or anything like that. All you need is a water bottle with clean or a soda bottle with clean water in there and you screw it into the outlet and you right you make the water go the opposite way to push out all the impurities and all the things that are clogging up the water filter. This little water filter can filter up to 100,000 gallons and so that's a lot of water. And so you can use it individually, but I really like the fact that the Versa VersaFlow comes with a water kit so that you can convert a simple five gallon uh, you know, Home Depot bucket into a family sized water filter. And because I thought it was such a great deal, I went ahead and made a video, a PDF, uh, a PDF tutorial that you can actually download. And if you were to give it to a, to a, someone, to a family member as a gift or something like that, you could print that out, give it to them, say, hey, put this up in, in your closet somewhere. If you ever need it, you have it. You can drill out the hole already for them and it would be ready to go. And they could follow that tutorial. It's very easy to do. But I also created a video that you could follow along and just take, it takes you step by step on how to do this. The cool thing is the VersaFlow with the, even if you go buy the bucket or whatever, you're going to be under $25 and that is a great deal. So if you're interested in the Hydro Blue VersaFlow water filter, the kit that comes with everything that you need to make that family size water filter, I have a link in the show notes that you can click on and you can go straight over and uh, well, it actually takes you to my website where you can get the PDF and you can watch the video and you can link there and it also gives you a coupon code where you can get 20% off. So I think it's just a great deal. And I know that a lot of people are out there trying to be frugal and being wise with their money. And so it's just one of those things that you can use to help you know your family with preparedness, maybe even give it out as a gift or two. So anyway, that link is going to be for you there for you in the show notes if you're interested. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our article of the podcast. It comes to us from Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You.com. And again, the title is Lessons from Katrina. Doc shares what she learned. 
Now, Katrina is a, was a long, long time ago. I know in the preparedness community, we still talk a lot about it because there were lessons to learn. It was like that one big you know, hurricane event that caused so much damage that everyone, you know, all the eyes were on New Orleans and what was going on over there. And it really kind of set it up for other things that were going to happen, other big hurricanes. Now, I know there's been other hurricanes that happen in, in other parts. It's just that's the one in my recent memory that uh, really got everyone kind of focused. And, and it wasn't just that. It wasn't just the hurricane event itself or the le- levees breaking or anything like that. It was the fact that the government wasn't able to come in and provide the resources. People weren't prepared. People lost their lives. Uh, we saw you know, all the looting and all the things that were going on. For those of you that have been in preparedness for a very long time, uh, back when this st- stuff was going on and then even a little after that, there were gun grabs. I mean, there were police going around taking guns from people, not from everybody, because there were some people that like, hey, no, you're not taking my guns. Uh, And there's videos of them still on YouTube if you go search for them and you can find all of that stuff. But, you know, it was one of those things that there was a lot of stuff going on and a lot of lessons that you can learn. And, you know, when we get to this place where we can hear about firsthand accounts of people, you know, people that were there at ground zero, then, you know, they're on the ground, they were trying to help, or they were going through all this kind of stuff, then it really helps us to understand, not to repeat those lessons. They're lessons that we don't necessarily have to learn. We just need to, or not learn on our own. We can learn from someone else and start to apply them to our lives and apply them to any kind of an emergency situation. So anyway, uh, beans, bullets, bandages, and you, uh, what I love about uh, Spice and Salty out there, you know, they have friends in the community, in the, the medical community, and Spice always, you know, she's talking, she talks about medical stuff, and she does a lot of research, and she provides that research, but she has friends, again, like uh, this person here named Doc, who uh, was there and was helping out. Uh, you know, in the in, on the medical side of things, and just some things that she learned and that she shared with them about Katrina. And I could just imagine how these things are, you know, kind of burned into her memory because she was there, kind of living it. And there were some could have been some very intense times here. So let's go ahead and, without further ado, jump into this article from Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You dot com. Lessons from Katrina. Doc shares what she learned. New Orleans and surrounding areas were a complete mess in so many ways after Katrina, but they did have a lot of lessons preppers can learn from. My friend Doc was called into the disaster response early on and spent several weeks working in the worst areas. I asked her what she learned from the experience that was prepper relevant, and here were the main ideas she wanted to share. So many of the dead perished because they wouldn't leave their pets. A surprising number of the fatalities of Katrina were found in their attics. They lived below the ocean level, but would not evacuate because the evacuation buses and centers would not let them bring their pets. They stayed until the levees broke, climbed to the highest point in their houses, and were drowned when the water came up that high. In an ironic twist, most of the pets were not with their owners in the attics. That problem has been lessened as many of the disaster responders noticed this and encouraged change. Relief organizations for both animals and people now have some plans for helping people with pets evacuate safely. 
The point here is, do you have plans that accommodate your pets? There's a post here with some ideas on the subject. So there is a link there that you can go to and have some ideas. You know, that is one of the things about Hurricane Harvey. And I guess I'm really glad that some of these relief organizations learned uh, from Hurricane Katrina. And they realize that, you know what, they're pets. And, and I understand when when you're a first responder, you, you're probably thinking, I want to save as many lives as possible. I want to get as many people out of here as possible. But the fact that there were people behind that their pets are like their kids, right? Like family members. We're not leaving them behind. And so I'm, I'm really glad that some of that idea, some of that has changed. And so I noticed a lot of that during Hurricane Harvey when people were being removed from homes or, you know, boats were going in and stuff like that. People had their pets, right? And so that was a, a great thing. Now, there were a lot of areas where there was... You know, and so again, where I live, it is I live in the suburbs, but you can you can take a, a a little trip like five minutes down the road and take you know a little turn here and a little turn there, and all of a sudden it looks like you're in a rural area. And so we had a lot of flooding in our area, and there are places that have horses and cattle and goats and farm animals and all those types of things. And sometimes the water rose in some of these areas in in Texas rose so fast that people weren't able to get their animals or farm animals out. And in some cases, people or their, their animals died because of that. And uh, there were some people that were, you can just chalk it up to neglect because they would have had time to get their animals out. They just waited too long. And when it was the last minute, they saved themselves. But there were there were other times and other places where, again, like I said, the, the water rose so fast that they weren't able to get their animals out. And so if you are someone who owns farm animals and you are in an area that's prone to flooding, that might be something you might want to have some kind of trailer where you can quickly load up your animals as much as possible. There was just one sad scene where this guy who who owned farm animals where he's coming back after the water has receded and he's seeing animals that were drowned and that were dead right and then there's other animals that were alive and they were just shaken they were on dry land they they made it to dry land but they were just shaken you could tell they were scared and and they hadn't seen a human for a while right and so that that is something that we need to make sure that we do if we're going to be responsible or have something available if we are, if we if we have farm animals, we have uh, you know a bunch of a big number of animals that we have to, we can't just put in our vehicles right, and that we need to uh, to take. The other thing that I wanted to say here is, and I saw a lot of this. I actually heard about this uh, here on on the local news when Harvey was going on. Is people were saying like, if you go up to actually, I think I, I read it on Facebook as well. If you're going up to your attic for whatever reason, you know, make sure you have something that you can break through the roof with, right? So uh, some kind of hatchet, some kind of saw, uh, you know, some kind of, you know, electrical saw, whatever, something that could drill through a sawzall, right? Uh, that you could drill through your your roof so that you could get out if the water is coming up so high. Now, hopefully you never get to that point where you are uh, having to retreat up into your attic. But 
if that is the case, don't be left behind or don't get stuck up there without a way to break through your roof. And that could save your life if you ever have to, to, to be in that kind of situation. And I don't know, people that are preppers and people that just might have a, a spare hatchet or two might want to just leave one up there and uh, make it really easy. So in case someone was to get stuck up there, you're able to get up there. And again, you're going to want to have flashlights and headlamps and those types of things so that you could see while you're maneuvering up there. So I think those are just a couple of uh, smart things that you can do there as you are thinking about these lessons that we're reading here from Katrina. All right, so continuing on, here's the next lesson that was learned. Doc's team needed to travel a ways through the trashed area to get to their assignment. Other team members laughed at her for grabbing a case of bottled water and some ration packs. It was the victims that needed such things. They were the medical responders. They still ate the food and drank the water when road conditions kept them from returning to base. That's one danger I suspect preppers are at risk for. Hey, we're prepared for disasters, right? We can't forget that some disasters are better left behind and that some problems can't be solved by stored food and some skills. All right, great lesson here. You don't want to go out there being a first responder and wind up being one of the people that need to be saved or at least, you know, if you're out there and you lose a meal, right, uh, because you can't get back to base, losing a meal is not going to be that big of a deal. But if you are out there and you've been working all day long and you don't have water, you get dehydrated, that's not good because then you as a medical responder are not going to be able to respond you know continue to respond you're going to have to you know take some time off and you're going to have to recuperate from being dehydrated so this was a smart thing it's one of those things like you're you're really you're critically thinking what are the things that can happen and we prepare when we prepare for emergency situations we don't want those things to happen we're just looking into the future and we're looking at the possibilities that what of what could happen, right? And so this is what Doc did as she was out there as a first responder. She's like, okay, what could happen? The roads are bad. Things could happen. We can get stuck out there. All right, so let's have let's take some water. Let's take some uh, some extra food. And then people are going to laugh. I mean, people are going to have like, yeah, we're not going to be the type of people that get stuck out there. We're the first responders or medical responders. And then they wind up getting stuck. And so at that point, they realize, you know what? Doc is a smart person. She's a smart woman because she took stuff out there. She took, uh, you know, water. She took supplies out there and she was able to. Uh, you know, help everybody else out to stay hydrated and to eat and be a little bit more comfortable. I know that they're probably on a bus or, you know, in vans or whatever, but you're still a little bit more comfortable because you had something to eat. You had food in your belly and you weren't worried about all of those types of things, right? So great job there. And that's something that we always do. That's why we everyday carry. That's why we have, uh, you know, bug out bags and kits that we carry with us maybe in our car to work. Even if we're going to work, we don't work very far away from home or whatever, but hey, we wind up doing these kinds of things because it's a just in case because you never know what's going to happen. So a uh, great lesson learned there to be a little bit more proactive and to think ahead. All right. So the next lesson, most people tend to normalcy bias anyway, but there are two conditions more than any others that people reported to Doc 
as reasons why they didn't think it was a big enough deal to bother evacuating. So one big factor was how many of their neighbors were leaving. Some stayed just because their neighbors stayed, even though they were in sight of the levee and could see it wasn't the safest neighborhood in the city just then. They'd have saved themselves a bad time if they'd follow their own good sense. Now the other factor Doc noticed, sorry guys, it's her observation, I'm just calling it like she saw it, was the testosterone effect. In a group of guys, none of them wanted to be the voice of caution. I suspect they were less afraid of the disaster than of looking afraid to other guys. Well enough until it got in the way of a reasonable response. In her own response group, it did end up being the only woman who bothered to bring supplies or suggest that it might be wise to check the tire that had been flat at the beginning of the day. All right, so way too, uh, so we're going to put all the guys in one in one basket here, right? All right, so, uh, and I know Spice is saying here, okay, it's just this is just the observation. Um, I tend to be a little bit more cautious, so I don't really care if other guys are standing around and uh, they're saying, hey, we're not going to leave. I mean, you know, to me, I have more responsibilities. I take, take into the fact that, hey, I've got a, a wife and kids and I want to do what's important and what's safe for them. So uh, being around a group of guys who were saying, I'm not leaving, I'm not leaving, uh, that would have made me stay, right? I would have, I would have still packed up and gone and I would have said you know I would have I would have tried to give some advice to these guys and maybe they would have listened and they would have saved themselves uh, a hard time you know all this inconvenience that they that they went through and so not everybody thinks that not every guy thinks that way I know that that was probably just one of the the observations there uh, on on how things were going on. Now, I understand why people don't want to leave in some cases. And this happened later on in Florida. If you remember, I can't remember which hurricane it was, but it was going to, and I know that I've mentioned it here before on the podcast, but everybody was was told to evacuate and they did evacuate. Now, not everybody did. There was just, there were a few people that did evacuate. At, at, I'm sorry, there was a few people that did stay behind. At the very last minute, the hurricane turned, and so there was some wind damage and things like that, but it wasn't a direct hit like they thought it was going to be. But the police officers and the government, whoever it was, I don't know if it was National Guard or whatever, that were manning the the checkpoints would not let people go back to their homes. And so the people that stayed behind, that you know they might have lost electricity a little bit, but that was pretty much all. They had some wind damage, things like that. I mean, they were there and everything was fine. The other people were not released to go back home. I think it was like a day or maybe a day or two later. And what they were saying is that we want to make sure it's safe for you, blah, 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 all that, all that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, people are worried about, hey, my home is there. Uh, you know, there's nothing really physically wrong. Let us get back there. And they were, they were a little upset. So then what's going to happen next time? Next time there's a hurricane and government is saying, hey, you need or the authorities are saying you need to evacuate. It's going to be a direct hit. People are going to be like, no, because last time we evacuated, y'all didn't let us back in for a while, you know, and nothing really happened. And so you have this aspect that's going to play into it. And hopefully it's a lesson learned, just like Katrina and not allowing pets to be evacuated with with people that need to be evacuated hopefully this is a lesson learned by authorities that hey we don't 
We don't need to wait so long to get people back into their homes. Let's let them back in because next time they might not evacuate and there might be a, a big loss of life. So in one of the comments, though, there's another take on this. So I'm going to go ahead and scroll down to the comments because I wanted to read it. Uh, a completely different take on this. And so this is by Survivor Man in, in the comments. So let me go ahead and, and read this. He says, I suspect that political correctness is at work here. Either that or there is a failure to recognize an issue. Given the nature of the neighborhood populations that were hit the hardest in New Orleans, I suspect that much of the unwillingness to evacuate was based on the fact that many people realized that leaving their worldly possessions behind would leave their property vulnerable to theft and looting. Those who did remain behind could then engage in such behavior with impunity. Pre-Katrina, the Ninth Ward was one important reason that New Orleans never scored well on the list of America's safest cities. The massive wildfires that struck Southern California perhaps nine years ago resulted in an evacuation order for large portions of San Diego County. My friend refused to evacuate. He correctly calculated that his area was not nearly as vulnerable to wildfire as many others were, and he rejected the one-size-fit-all indiscriminate order that is issued so often in disasters. He had a very long driveway that went to his property. He was outside walking around in the smoke at some point for some reason and looked down the driveway only to see a vehicle coming up the driveway. When he turned to see who was approaching, he exposed the semi-automatic pistol he was wearing on his side. The car stopped and then began to back down the long driveway through the smoke. It was his belief that only because the vehicle occupants saw him and particularly saw his pistol that the occupants did not visit his property. The normalcy bias is always a huge issue in reactions to pending disasters. Perhaps the testosterone issue that Doc noticed was simple common sense based on a more keen assessment of the risk of leaving worldly possessions behind to be plundered. Men are more likely to have the physical abilities to survive physical threats than women, something that may be another politically incorrect view. It is an unarguable fact of human nature that men do not view threats to themselves nearly as seriously as women do. For young males, this is doubly so, and while they often pay the price for their decision, they will often engage in more risky behaviors and get away with it. All right, so... Spice responded back here. She said, Doc's assessments may not be correct, but you can count on them to be honest. They were based on her talking to residents. Were they being straight with a stranger from up north? Who knows? So I think both, when you really think about it, I think both uh, ideas, both reasons are really correct here when we're, th when we're thinking about why people decided to stay behind. I think they both make sense, right? People are... People are afraid that their, uh, that their items, that their possessions might get looted, especially in the Ninth Ward. People might not have insurance, home insurance, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, hey, what we have, we have. We're going we're gonna to stay behind. We're going to protect it. And some people might have stayed behind because they were wanting to loot. And they weren't going to be honest and tell a medical responder, hey, we stayed behind because we were, you know, we were realizing that we could possibly have an opportunity to loot later on. So that aspect is there as well. So uh, a lot of things playing into, into this here. Um, I think it really boils down to you got to make the right decision for yourself and your family. Even your worldly possessions, whatever they might be, are, are not, uh, should never 
have you running the risk of losing your family because of those things. I mean, you can always replace you can always replace stuff. You can't replace people. And so I think that's one of those things, but a lot of reasons going on there. You'll have to think for yourself and again, make your own decisions. That's why we're going through this article. You're you're hearing about lessons learned. You've got to apply them to yourself. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to the next one. This one surprised me. I've always considered the Wild West lawlessness aspect overdone in prepper thoughts and literature. Nevertheless, Doc saw a lot of aggression and threatened violence. This wasn't only true in the areas that were still in very bad shape with people in great need. It was also happening in back areas that were upset but not devastated or flooded. She even had a gun pulled on her for no apparent reason. The kid, and it was a kid, wasn't trying to rob her or make a sexual attack either. Apparently, he just wanted to instill fear. It takes a pretty strong breakdown of normal controls to have this happen on an open street in broad daylight with her security team less than 50 feet away, also in plain sight. Yep, it was so bad, the medical response team had to have private bodyguards from Blackwater accompany the team. All right, so my first thought was the bodyguards or the private bodyguards, why weren't they close enough to her to respond, right? Uh, why were they just 50 feet away? I don't know. It could have been one of those things where they didn't perceive a threat, and, but I don't know. Uh, but I think that's very interesting that uh, we have National Guard and we have uh, people that can go in and help and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't understand why um, private bodyguards had to be hired, but um, that could have been just the the group that she was with. I, I don't know. But uh, it's one of those things, you know, we, we always say that when things start to break down, that people start to get crazy. And there's a lot of crazy people out there that are waiting for the breakdown of society. And we talk about that in a bigger, you know, SHTF kind of situation, uh, you know, end of the world as we know it type thing. But even here in this situation, now that kid... Could have been, uh, could have been fearful for his own life. I don't know. Uh, pulling a pulling a firearm. I'm not trying to excuse it or anything like that. But uh, if you're in a situation where you're constantly looking behind, you know, looking and, and making sure that you are safe, uh, you might be so stress filled and anxiety ridden that you would do stupid stuff like pull a, a, a firearm on someone who's trying to help you. Again, I'm not saying that is the case. Uh, it could have been just someone who was trying to be mean and, and, and instill fear exactly like was, was said here. But we need to understand and be prepared for breakdown. And again, this goes to normalcy bias. Um, and I know that it's not mentioned here, but I think it does apply because we want to see people as good. I mean, if you're a good person, and most of you listening to this podcast, I say most of you, all of you listening to this podcast, you're good. You're good people. And so you expect other people to respond that way. Most people you know, expect other people to respond. And so it's very hard to consider that you know when when things break down when there's not law enforcement that that could be called not that they are there to uh, you know not that they would show up right in that very instant but there's always that that opportunity to call 911 but when that kind of stuff breaks down then you are you know other people are going to come out of the woodwork to do bad things and so you need to be prepared for something like that you need to be aware 
of what might happen. And so did you get what she said here at the very beginning, even in places where there there wasn't necessarily flooding. It was just, there was a lot of aggression and threat and violence, even in places that where people just, you know, had a little bit of inconvenience and stuff like that. It was just, you know, it was people's stress levels and anxiety levels were very, very high. Now we heard about here in Houston because the Astrodome back then uh, was a place where they came and they they left people and you know it was set up as a big triage type thing and and people were here and we even heard about things that were going on. I mean, I remember talking with someone who had a, a husband who was a police officer who ran security who was down there and first responders. Uh, that were down there, and uh, there were some horror stories of of what was going on and things. And I'm sure some of those were stories that were kind of blown up, and other things were were legit. You know, that were things were happening uh, there. Again, the stress levels, the anxiety levels, all that kind of stuff goes into it, and people start to freak out and wig out. And you know, you got to consider that. So when you are in a situation, an emergency situation, not only do you need to get through that emergency, but you need to be careful. You need to be safe. You need to be, you know, uh, situational awareness is very much a big deal that you need to be paying attention to. All right. So that was a good one there. Let's go ahead and move on. A flood of donated goods followed hard on the flood of lower New Orleans, but it did take some time to get it distributed. Doc's recommendation for this sort of regional disaster was a couple of weeks worth of supplies and a couple of guns to deal with the increased aggression. All right, so there you go. You know, FEMA says you should have three days worth of food and water. And I know lately they have been expanding that to two weeks worth of food and water. And that is the government telling you that, right? And there's a lot of common sense into that because if you are you have water and you have food you you know you can take a little bit of the anxiety of how you know how am i going to survive right because those are the, the two big deals of survival hopefully you have shelter but you know you you have food and water but even more than that i mean you know what can you go what can you do beyond that there's a lot of other supplies that you would need and so i'm glad to see that recommendation there and my question to those of you you know some of you that are listening you're preparing for the big things right the big uh emp solar uh solar flares polar shift you know the grid going down and some of you that are listening are just wanting to be a little bit more self-reliant. You know that there are natural disasters like fires, like blizzards, like hurricanes, like tornadoes, and you're wanting to be a little bit more prepared. So what can you do? What can you add to your preparedness here to be able to survive a little bit more comfortably for a little bit longer period of time? All right, so good one there. Let's go ahead and move on. Some of you have those Tyvex isolation suits. Salty and I have a few ourselves and have watched the YouTube videos on Doff and Dawn. Well, Doc was considerably better trained than that, but still found it difficult to do it properly every time when real risks were on the line. That was common on her team. There were potential exposures until everyone had a lot of practice in it. All right, so I don't have a lot to say here because I don't have a lot of experience with these isolation suits but I think it would be a good idea to watch the videos like 
uh, Salty and Spice are, are saying here and to try them on and see how you can get them on and off without exposing yourself to whatever is out there. I know that that was one of the issues when Ebola, you remember when they were bringing uh, people from uh, out of out of the country into uh, the United States. And that was one of the things that they were saying is putting this stuff on takes a lot of time and a lot of patience and you have to you know go slow and you have to be very careful and and all of that kind of stuff needs to go into it and these are medical professionals and a lot of the times you know they don't do this on a regular basis kind of like what we're reading here about doc now uh, you know you do it so often uh, you get better at it right you find those things those tricks and things like that that will help you get faster at it but for the the normal person, the normal prepper who might have a suit, who you know wants to put it on to be you know to protect themselves for whatever, I don't know if you got to go into a sick room or, or whatever. Um, that's you know it's one of those things you you really need to know how to put those on and take your time. All right, so here are some minor things that Doc suggested or just wanted to leave. They're not lessons learned as far as big paragraphs that were written, but let me go ahead and read these here. So here are some items both the victims and the responders wish they had more of on hand that wouldn't be obvious to every prepper. So laxatives. Stress makes people constipated, all right? So that that would be one of those things. The other side of that is if you are drinking water and you're not filtering it correctly, you would have the opposite side. You can have diarrhea very, you can get very quickly by drinking water that's contaminated, diarrhea and dysentery. And so, you know, you want to have those types of things that would help you in that situation. The other thing is Beano. <laughs> Seriously, that whole beans and rice stereotype was what's for dinner for the first three weeks. All right. So, you know, I would be very curious to just find out a little bit more information on the beans and rice. Were they cooked different ways? Was it just one of those things is like, okay, you ate it at first. Did you you know, pass on it? And then later on, as you were going and you were hungry, did you start eating it? I would be very curious about that. And maybe Salty can ask Doc that question uh, later on down the road. And then birth control. Danger and awareness of death spikes people's sex drive. All right. And so you hear about, uh, in fact, uh, you know, you hear about this happening during blizzards, right? And uh, there's all, for whatever reason, when there's a blizzard going on or people are stuck in their homes, for, for whatever reason, uh, nine months, 10 months down the road, you know, there's a lot of babies being born in a certain community or whatever. But anyway, that's uh, that can be very much or very true, right? And maybe it's not just necessarily the danger and awareness of death, but it could be also just boredom as well. Because if you're sitting there and you're used to electricity and power and having your devices and all that kind of stuff, and you don't have that, all right, what do you do, right? What what other kinds of things do you do to pass time? So anyway, there you go, uh, those things there. Now, there's a bonus tip here, bonus lesson. doesn't necessarily have to do with Katrina, but something that Doc wanted to uh, share. So let me go ahead and read this last little bit. Since she was providing me ideas on preparedness, Doc wanted to put out one that's not from her Katrina experiences. Instead, it's based on a fire that happened when she lived in a high-rise building. The place caught on fire and the top floors filled with smoke. Doc herself was about the last person to successfully escape, but she wasn't the last person in the building. 
she was able to make it out because she happened to be very familiar with the fire exits and she used them for exercise when the time was tight. That was important when the smoke got too thick to see and the power was out. Still, it was a near thing, lungs not being all that fond of smoke. If she ever lives in such a place again, she's going to have an emergency air supply. I told her about a diver favorite called Spare Air. Okay, it's not really a diver favorite. A lot of us make fun of it because it's too little when you're at depth taking in five times as much air with each breath. On the surface, though, it's a useful amount with its own regulator. An airtight mask, such as a scuba mask, to keep you seeing the light would be a good accompaniment. All right, so it's very, uh, very important there. And if, I don't know, if I lived in a high rise, that might be something to consider. There's all kinds of new things too. If you live in a high rise where you can open the windows or, or get out, I don't know if you've seen those things, those videos where it's kind of like a backpack and you pull the string and it pulls you out and then it just surrounds you, encases you in this bubble so that when you fall to the ground, you don't hurt yourself. You're, you're, you're around this bubble. So there's a lot of those things, you know, that are new ways to, to protect yourself and save yourself. You could have a rope ladder if you're not, you know, very, very high up. If you're in a, in a real high rise, uh, you know, you, that wouldn't work. I found out that most firemen ladders only go up to like the sixth floor in in a high rise and so i found that out just recently and something that i'm going to share in my email and uh just to my email subscribers so i thought that was kind of interesting there and so uh you know that's something to think about so if you're in a high rise knowing your exits and maybe being able to navigate those exits in a time where you're uh you know where you can't see so well would be very very smart having a mask that you can put on so your eyes don't uh, burn with the uh, with the smoke or whatever um, that would be real smart to to do and maybe even having uh, some kind of air uh, that, that you can uh, latch onto and you can uh, breathe so you can make it down very sad to think that people lost their life because of smoke right and uh, they just couldn't make it out because they couldn't find the fire exit so a good point there if you wind up living in a high rise and in really you need to be careful even living in a home because smoke can fill a home very quickly there was a guy that i used to play in a worship band with who um he went back inside he had a fire in his home and he got everybody out but he went back inside for uh the family pet and he didn't make it out because you know he couldn't find the family pet or the the smoke filled his lungs and he just couldn't he couldn't make it out and so you don't ever want to be in that kind of situation well guys a lot of great lessons learned from hurricane katrina and with you know somebody being on the ground floor one of the first responders or medical responder being there and things that were learned there's still a lot of other lessons learned that are out there uh, like I said, there's YouTube videos that you can find out about things that, that happened during Hurricane Katrina. And like, like I said, people lost uh, guns, you know, that were family heirlooms that were passed down from grandparents because there was cops that were confiscating firearms and different things like that. And they were lost, right? You know, great firearms and maybe antiques, maybe things that were worth a lot of money. And they were just quote unquote 
lost, right? And all the other things that go into play there when there is ever an emergency, we need to make sure that we learn these lessons and we're able to apply them so that we don't run into same to, to some of the same mistakes. So guys, like always, I'm going to link to this article in the show notes. You can go check it out. There are a lot of other comments here. Uh, I only read one of them, uh, but there are a lot of other comments that you can read and check out for yourself and other links that you can link to from Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 591. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Just search for the Prepper Website Podcast in any of your podcast catchers and it will come up. We're on all the podcast catchers out there, all the podcast networks. And make sure you subscribe. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. Hey, and take a moment to connect with me. I have a link in the show notes where you can join the Prepper website email list where I am there connecting with the subscribers on that list. I'm trying to do that in a more personal way. So I hope you will join me over there. And so with that, Choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.